1: Welcome back to Her Uh, This is going to be a fun one. We're going to talk a little energy policy, a little bit of climate, that sort of thing. Uh, we're joined with another one of our great Young Voices contributors, Jacob Puckett. Uh, he does a lot of writing in environmental and energy fields, also a little bit of transportation, but we're going to focus on energy today. Uh, he is working out of the Show Me Institute. And if you didn't already know, that's out of Missouri, which is the Show Me State. Jacob, how are you, my friend?
0: I'm doing well, Andrew. Thanks for having me on the show
1: thrilled to have you you did some writing over at uh, real clear energy free market reforms can help reduce GHG emissions faster that's a big word what's the acronym let's get our nomenclature straight before <laughs> we dive into the particulars here what the heck is a GHG emission
0: so GHG stands for greenhouse gas emissions typically that's shorthand for saying carbon dioxide emissions which you know would, would be a long uh, phrase to spell out so GHG kind of takes the place for that
1: now, we've heard about greenhouse gases all of our lives. Some of those are naturally occurring. Some of those are not naturally occurring. So when they're talking about reducing the emissions, which ones are actually harmful? Which ones can we really not do a whole lot about even if we wanted to? And which ones are being targeted specifically regulatory wise?
0: Sure. So that's, that's the big question. Um, which emissions are harmful and which ones are coming from us versus which ones are occurring naturally? This, it's, a, it's a debated topic. The IPCC and their last report uh, attributed nearly all of the recent warming uh, to human activity, which that's, that's a big statement. Maybe more information will come out uh, the next time they have another one of these reports and, and they might adjust the view. Um, but that's a debated topic. And we're usually talking about carbon dioxide emissions specifically from the energy sector, transportation sector, and industrial sector. Those three account for a- about 80 percent of all of America's greenhouse gas emissions. So when, when we talk about um, policies or regulations to re- <laughs> excuse me, to reduce our emissions, those are the main areas that we're usually talking about.
1: Now, I've kind of softened my stances on this over the years. I've kind of come to the point when talking about environmental things where I just want to start with a little humility to go, okay, I don't really know. I, I know more of what I don't know than what I actually know when it comes to this stuff. So, my general basis when we start talking about climate and clean energy and things like this is with a lot of other areas, I'm a freedom guy first. So, I think it should be an all of the above type thing. It seems to me, though, that when we start talking uh, emissions regulations and these sort of things, it's not an all of the above type thing. People want to get really specific, really quick about what they do and do not want to regulate.
0: Right. And and the good thing is the all of the above approach is, in my opinion, the better approach to take. And, and the good news on this topic, um, if you thought the only way to reduce emissions and protect the planet was to wait for the government's next big regulation, their, their specific thing they want to go after, well, you'll Think again, market-based solutions in those three areas that I mentioned, uh, energy, transportation, and the industrial sector. Market-based solutions using the forces of competition and innovation are already starting to clean up those sectors. And if we wanna reduce emissions even faster, we should be doubling down on these market-based solutions rather than just punting the ball to the government and waiting for them to regulate everything.
1: Yeah, talking to Jacob Puckett. Let's just go into them then. What are the market-based solutions for emissions right now that you see that are going? Because we know regulatory can be adaptive to the market when something happens and the market runs way ahead and then the regulation has to catch up. What's going on in the market that has the regulators and Congress's attention right now?
0: So we'll, we'll take energy first because that's the one that gets talked about the most. There are two sides to the electricity market uh, and market-based competitive reforms on both of those sides uh, have been good in this regard. On the electricity generation side, uh, there are some parts of the country that use competitive regional markets to select the lowest cost uh, electricity to meet the demand that's needed in that region. And for the regions that use these competitive markets, they've been able to integrate clean energy faster than areas that don't. And just for an example, uh, one of the best places to get wind energy, America's largest renewable resource right now, uh, is in the Great Plains states. I uh, kind of here by where I am in Missouri and then a little bit further to the west. For the states uh, in the Great Plains area that use these competitive uh, electricity generation markets, they've been able to integrate more wind energy faster uh, than other Great Plains states that don't have these markets. So opening, opening up the playing field and allowing more energy sources to compete has been a good way uh, to incorporate more clean energy sources.
1: Yeah. And when you're talking cost, though, let's, let's slow down for just a second so we don't lose anybody. And you can explain this to me like I'm five because I don't understand it that well either. But when you're talking costs, we're not talking about what shows up on my electric bill at my home there's a cost to generating power, no matter how you're doing it, renewable, old school, oil, whatever. There's a cost to making this. And that's the cost that you're talking about here.
0: Right. So when you get your electric bill, uh, you're really looking at the final item, uh, the final collected list uh, of several items that go into generating your electricity. You've got the fuel sources, uh, which it could, be, could be coal, it could be natural gas, it could be solar power, you've got your transmission costs. Uh, that's, those are the power lines and the distribution centers that you see that get the power from the power plant uh, to your home or to your business. Uh, those are the main components. And usually the, uh, the generation and fuel costs will make up between uh, about a, th- a quarter to a third uh, of the total um, retail costs that you, that you see on your final electric bill. It's the transportation and distribution that'll make up about two thirds uh, of the bill. And and you're right. Those costs are needed uh, no matter how you're generating the electricity. Because if you generate it in the middle of nowhere, what use is that to anyone? You've got to get it to people. So, yeah, you're you're right. There are a number of costs that go into uh, getting electricity to people.
1: Now, you've already talked about uh, private sector and the market sector as opposed to the government sector. In the American system of government, though, we kind of have a little bit of an in-between step. And you just mentioned it. Uh, The states have a lot of latitude to try to do some experimenting here. Uh, What is it about certain states that are succeeding? You already mentioned the plain states are good for wind. uh, But you also mentioned in your article a state like Texas, which, of course, traditionally heavy oil state, heavy fossil fuel state. But you mentioned them as well, that even they are diversifying on this stuff. Talk about how the states really are the laboratories on stuff like this.
0: Yeah, states really are the laboratories of energy democracy in this regard. And Texas is a great example because all around, they have one of the most market-based competitive uh, energy and electricity markets out of any state. Uh, they, they are very competitive when it comes to um, allowing different sources uh, of energy to generate their electricity. And on the other side, uh, for, for people like you and me, we're the ones buying the electricity and using it. Uh, Texas is great in in regards to allowing their residents to choose their own electric service provider from a whole bunch of different competing companies. And and, in many states, uh, people don't have that option. The government says uh, there's going to be a monopoly. You have one choice. Uh, We'll try to do our best to regulate this company. But at the end of the day, that's who you've got. And if you don't like it, tough luck. Not so in Texas, they, they, they let people choose and it's opened up, um, it, it's opened up all sorts of opportunities because people want renewable energy. Uh, they want to diversify um, where they're getting their electricity, whether it's homeowners or businesses and the model that Texas uses allows them uh, to, use, to use their freedom and to choose from different uh, electric providers.
1: Yeah, there's that all above all of the above thing we were talking about again. You just mentioned it. Uh, a lot of people want it. Homeowners want it. Customers want it. Businesses want it. What's going to be the tipping point on the energy side of this debate to where the cost and the technology and the market? And the regulation all start to meet because we understand right now those are all kind of in divergent places. We don't really have the technology to replace all fossil fuels. We don't have the regulation to do it. When do you think the mating point for all those is going to be? Is it any time in the near future, or is it still way off in the distance?
0: I think it's closer um, in the near future uh, than than it, than it has been in times past, and I'll I'll explain that in a moment. But the the electricity sector is changing rapidly. You you no longer have people just accepting the old monopoly utility model of one company will generate all the electricity and everyone else just buys from them. Yep, L- large businesses um, want to be able to compete in this, uh, in these um, regional electric markets uh, themselves. They wanna be able to, for instance, put their own solar panels up and offset some of their costs and to sell that electricity back to the grid. It's It's no longer, Uh, one utility, and then everyone else on the outside. There are now multiple players uh, in these electricity markets. And uh, a recent um, order from the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which has a lot of say in these regional electricity markets, uh, a few months ago, they just put out an order. It's order 2222 for anyone who wants to look it up, uh, opening up these markets even more to allow more market participants uh, to to participate in the electricity generation process. So that's the future uh, of where the industry is going. Uh, more is better. And uh, that's, that's what we're looking
1: at. We're talking to Jacob Puckett. When we come back, we've talked the energy side. We're going to talk to the transportation side when we come back from the break, which is getting more and more entangled in energy because of the push for electric. Talking about that with Jacob Puckett of Young Voices right after this on Hertel. Uh, Welcome back to Hurt Tell. We're talking to Jacob Puckett about energy. Uh, And now we've got to talk about transportation, Jacob, because if we're going to push electric and the whole of government and a lot of the private sector are pushing electric even above uh, other technologies, but that's another debate for another day. There's going to be a push-pull there because, as you just mentioned, electricity is finite. However, we're generating it, all these new methods of generating. There's a collision course here that we're rapidly coming up on is if we're going to push electric in the transportation sector, we better get right with that we're going to have to change how electricity is done. Is that not correct?
0: Right. When, when more electric vehicles hit the road, uh, overall, there's going to be a greater demand for electricity. And and, and that's simply because you're changing the fuel source for millions of vehicles, from gasoline uh, and oil-based fuel to electricity. So we are looking at the need for more electric generation overall. And uh, a a lot of policymakers and lawmakers and regulators are focusing on electric vehicles as as a way to improve local air quality, uh, reduce the transportation sector's overall environmental impact, um, as as well as any benefits that drivers might experience, but but that's that's a separate issue. However, a lot of a lot of these lawmakers have focused more on the um, you know the hammer and nail side mandates and subsidies, whereas uh, there are better ways to promote electric vehicles that involve uh, opening up the market and giving more people the opportunity to buy them.
1: And there's it's not just technology. There's some practical stuff in the way here. You touch on it in the article. Um, electric vehicles are not like regular vehicles, regulatory wise right now, there's restrictions on who can buy them, who can sell them. Uh, there's going to be an issue with these vehicles, uh, like we've seen in the farming sector, a right to repair issue with these vehicles because it's heavily regulated. We know the issues with batteries and the rare in- minerals and the export problems with that. It's not just technology and it's not just environmental, um, nerddom for lack of a letter, better way of phrasing it. If you're talking about people's primary transportation, there's a lot of practical issues that got to be worked out here.
0: Right. It's it's crazy to think that residents of nearly 2 dozen states are not allowed to buy electric vehicles directly from the manufacturer. That's that's how companies like Tesla for instance sell their cars. They don't go through dealerships. You buy it directly from the dealer. Well, it's illegal in about 2 dozen states. So those residents would have to travel out of state to buy an EV from a popular brand, Tesla or Rivian or, or any of the new electric vehicle companies entering the market. And, and if lawmakers wanted to encourage uh, more people to buy electric vehicles, one thing they could do is to make it easier to allow them to buy electric vehicles. Getting rid of these, uh, these outdated restrictions that require uh, car manufacturers to go through dealerships will go a long way in bringing uh, more electric vehicles to the streets and providing an operating stability for all these new companies, uh, giving them the confidence that they can operate where people want their cars.
1: Yeah, talking to Jacob Puckett, a Young Voices contributor, talking a little bit of energy and environment. Okay, so to loop this back where we started with energy, um, if the regulation for the EVs are bad, And the regulation for the energy production and the new technologies coming online is schizophrenic. Where do people start in their advocacy for this stuff? Because we talked, I know the states are doing some stuff, but I think people that even maybe want to be interested in the environment, maybe they care a little bit. They're maybe not militant online about it or anything like that. Is there just an intimidation factor to some of this right now because of the way the discourse is going where people just go like, "Ah, I'm just not going to fool with that? How do we turn down that noise and let people that maybe are mildly interested get into this? Because there doesn't seem to be a lot of access points to discussing this topic that don't wind up in an alley of getting yelled at on your Facebook page, right?
0: (laughs) Right. Well, the key is to stay away from the extremist legislation that gets proposed in Congress that gets the most media attention. People might be surprised. There have been a number of uh, reasonable market based solutions uh, for um, for for transportation and for electricity generation that have that have moved through Congress the past couple of years. Um, You could start to look at um, Kevin Kramer has a very reasonable position on this. Um, Joe Manchin will bring a voice of reason uh, when when the, the rhetoric gets too hot. Um, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski are also focused on these, and, and they typically provide uh, a more sensible uh, middle of the road way to reducing emissions and bringing more competition to electricity markets you know, in ways that don't involve just simply slamming down the heavy hand of government. This is what you must do. You know, instead, they focus on cooperation and innovation.
1: Yeah, and real quick before we have to let you go, since you're an energy guy, uh, one of those heavy hands has been in a sector that we know for a fact can produce a massive amount of clean energy in a hurry, but nobody really wants to do anything with it. Nuclear power, uh, you just mentioned Joe Manchin, the state of West Virginia, had a ban, a legal ban on the book that you could not do any nuclear power in the state. They just lifted that. The governor signed it into law. What does that read to you when something that is al- almost emblematic of fossil fuel coal country, West Virginia, and they make that kind of a statement legislatively. I know that doesn't mean probably in my lifetime I'd ever see a nuclear power plant, but still, that that's it's not everything, but that's a something, ain't it?
0: Hey, more more states should follow West Virginia's lead in this. Most of these laws banning nuclear power were passed decades ago when there were a few minor accidents with nuclear power plants, but right now it is one of the safest ways to generate electricity. And and you're right, Andrew, it's emissions-free, it's reliable, and you can generate a lot of electricity with this. And it's great that West Virginia is doing this um, at any time, but it's exciting right now because the next generation of nuclear technology um, is is being developed and is starting to be built out West uh, in states like Idaho and Wyoming, small nuclear reactors, um, maybe one-fifth to one-tenth of the size of a traditional power plant they're more flexible. They're cheaper. They're even safer than the safe traditional uh, nuclear power plants that we're, that we're used to. And it's it's going to be exciting to see if West Virginia uh, wants to take advantage of this new technology and, and move on from just being a coal-only state.
1: Yeah. Jacob Puckett, great stuff today. Good insight. Let people know where they can find you. You're writing. This piece was in Real Clear Energy. We'll link to it, but let them know about your social media and what else you have going on, my friend.
0: Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob R. Puckett. That's, that's Jacob with a K, uh, the letter R and Puckett. Uh, I, I write for Young Voices, so you can find me on the youngvoices.org website. And uh, you know just you can also just Google my name, Jacob Puckett Energy, and uh, you'll see lots of things that I've worked on.
1: Yep. And that's Jacob with a K when you go to get on the twitter.com. Uh, Jacob Outstanding stuff, my friend, we'll be sure to have you on. You're a transportation guy, too. I want to talk transportation with you in the future, because uh, I'm a transportation guy, box kicker from way back. Good stuff, my friend, well done, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Okay, Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early